Welcome to the podcast. Welcome to the podcast. I'm the host, Amidan. This is Eliyahu. Broken Shem, we have with us Rabbi Shmuel Reichman all the way from Chicago joining us. And uh, we're excited for this uh, episode. Yeah, man. <laughs> the first episode that we've ever done together. Okay, guys, so we're going to... Yeah, I wish. <laughs> bring down the walls. So here's what actually happened. We just recorded the best episode of all time. Literally, the, the greatest principles of... Literally, like, greatest episode I've ever done and the greatest episode that will never be heard because we have no idea what happened to it. We're literally <laughs> lost and Shemayim. So here's what we decided to do. We are not going to re-record uh, the exact same episode. We're going to like kind of give you like some of the nuggets and then we're going to go even deeper because we basically said there's two options. We could pretend like that never happened, not tell you what happened, and then just go through the motions and then pretend to be excited about trying to see. But we love you guys so much and we want to be so genuine and truthful. <laughs> That we scratch that idea. You know what I love that you said? Like you said, like usually this perhaps usually everything goes right. Also in the beginning when things like the way it got started also a bit rough. And and we were thinking like this happens to us every single time. It's <laughs> 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 uh, yeah. good. Always something else. But Baruch Hashem, we're here. It's all for the good. And uh, we're excited to do a... Thank you for continuing and yeah. for giving us the time, especially so... Who are you, Rabbi Shmuel? Who are you? Well, guys, so the way that these podcasts always work is that you start by, you know, sharing your stories. So that's what we did. I told you guys a little bit about who I am. So I'll tell you the brief version. Uh, the brief version is that I am simply someone who is striving to become all that I can be and help others do it. I love Torah. I love clients. I love Hashem. I love teaching Torah. I love traveling the world, speaking, inspiring, and teaching the deepest aspects of Torah, not just Gemara, not just Machshava, not just Halacha, not just Moser, not just psychology, but the oneness of Torah, the oneness of life, and really integrating all the best of everything into a system of integrated thought that helps you not only learn Torah and think about Torah, but live Torah. And I briefly shared my story as to why I do what I do because I do look uh, pretty young, which maybe we'll get to. Um, but one of the biggest secrets of the world. <laughs> we did have it in the last episode, right? It just got lost. So maybe that's right. No, <laughs> Somewhere we're going to find some of it one of these days. Um, but I was just, uh, I was just a normal kid. And my life fell apart when I was around 17, 18 years old. I was learning in Eretz Israel. I grew up modern Orthodox, grew up from, and went through the motions, was a normal kid. Uh, you know, wasn't super, I wasn't, you know, a rebellious kid, but I wasn't like super passionately from, I was from, I was a normal kid. And then my life fell apart. Uh, I got my heart broken. So that broke my identity. I lost my sense of who I was. Then I lost the ability to speak. So for years, every time I tried to talk, like I felt like a dagger was stabbing my throat. So I had to choose who I spoke to, what I said, how I said it, it was literally a nightmare. And then when I was studying in Israel for a couple of years in Shalvim, I just started to have these crazy things. The first time it happened, I literally felt this, this pain in my stomach and it stretched to my head and I lost consciousness. And it wasn't just like passing out. It was like this painful experience where I was like losing consciousness, but I wasn't yet lost consciousness. And when I passed out, I couldn't wake up again. I literally thought I was dying. And when I finally woke up, I thought it was like a fluke accident. Maybe like it was just something I ate. And then it happened again the next.
next week. And the doctors had no idea what was going on. And for months, this started happening on like a weekly, monthly basis. And I would just cry out to Hashem and say, why is this happening to me? Like, why are you doing this to me? But what ended up happening is that I also was given the gift of having a midlife crisis at the age of 17, where I started saying, like, I might not make it till tomorrow. I might not live till tomorrow, but what am I living for today? What am I doing with my life? So I started to really build myself and, and seek out Rebeam and speakers and people who were making an impact in class. I started to ask them questions and interviewing them. I started to see what I was capable of. And those three things ended up becoming the biggest gifts that I ever got because the fact that I got my heart broken, my whole world shattered. So most people, when they want to build themselves, they have to tear themselves down. But when you get torn down for yourself, when you basically are broken down to your root, you can just... Only one way up. Exactly. The best place to build from is rock bottom, right? It's a great foundation. You don't want to go there, but when you go there, it's, it's a gift from Hashem. So it was literally amazing. I got to basically say, like, I lost myself. Now I can build myself. I can find out who I really am. And the fact that I couldn't speak for years, I started to value every single word. I started to value ideas and concepts. I started to value Torah. I started to become more clear in my head. Once you realize that, like if you would write down everything you think, everything you believe on paper, you start to realize there's so many contradictions. that You don't really have an integrated, balanced, interconnected sense of thought. You just have a lot of opinions and things you've heard from Sharon. But if you start to write them down and organize your thoughts and start to really think things through and develop a deeper, more integrated, more balanced, more sophisticated approach to what you actually think and how you believe and how you approach yourself. Just basic concepts, all mitzvahs, all halachic sugis, all conceptual sugis, like sugis and machshava, questions about life. You start to actually, not just like go through the motions and listen to the share and go back to your life, but take it seriously. You start to make progress. You start to get clarity. You start to actually become wise. You start to become principle-based, qualim, not prepping. You start to go back to the root. And the fact that my life fell apart, the fact that I was facing death on a daily basis, at least I thought I was, I started to take life seriously. I started to really ask myself, what am I capable of? And it led me on this incredible, incredible journey of striving to become great and great, not as like better than everyone else, but truly to like become who I was designed to become. Where the Gemara says, and I mentioned this in our previous podcast, that we learn kolatora kul in the womb and we forget it. The Gemara Nida Daflama says that we learn kolatora kul, we forget it. And then this mouth that teaches us kolatora kul hits us on the mouth, we forget, and we go into this world. So everyone asks the same question why make us learn it if we're going to forget it? So the Bali Machshava say we don't lose it, we lose access to it. And the whole goal of life is doing what? It's realizing what was that Torah? The Torah, the Bali Machshava say, it's number one, it's deeper Torah, it's the Torah, the cosmic Torah of reality, the Torah that literally Karsh Baruch used to create the physical world. The physical world, the world's an expression of a deeper reality. But more importantly, beyond just the deeper cosmic purpose of creation, you were shown your Torah, your unique purpose. And your job to, is to come into this world and not become great, but become you. And that's why the whole journey of life is becoming more like aware becoming more focused on who are you, how do you think, how do you learn, what makes you unique, what are you supposed to literally become and contribute to the world, the clients? And I never would have embarked on that journey. I would have just stayed, you know, quote unquote normal and just had very low standards, very low expectations of myself and never really explored what I was capable of becoming. So that was the greatest gift 
that I was ever given. And my whole goal is a lot of people come over to me when I speak and like, so I need a near-death experience to like devote mm. my life. Like the opposite. I'm trying to simulate it for you now. So you have that wake up call, you don't need it. It's like, I'll just share a beautiful, beautiful, quick idea before we go deeper. Is that Avram says, Anochi offer Vefer. I'm about dust and ashes. So most people think it means he's humble. But the real idea is offer Vefer is dust and ashes. When you ask yourself, you break yourself down to your elemental form. And dust, dirt, that's how you replant it anew. Avram's saying every single day, I break myself down and replant myself to become even more. As an I myself, my own metamorphosis, I break myself down to become more. When did he say that? Right after the 10 challenges, right after the 10 challenges, right after Hashem broke him down to show him what he can become, as Durambon explained, the purpose of those challenges were not for Hashem to see what Avram can do, but for Avraham to see what he could, because our challenges bring out the best in us. But you only need an external challenge when you're not doing it yourself. The ideal is to break yourself down, to realize that the only way to grow is to introduce pressure. You want to build muscle, you have to tear it apart. You want to build your mind, you have to struggle. You want to build your emotional vitality, you want to build your spiritual consciousness, your ability to meditate and focus and think and contemplate. You have to literally push yourself to the brinks, to, to the very edge of your capacity, not too far, because then you'll break yourself, but just enough that you can break yourself down so that you can grow more. So once Hashem did that for Avram, Avram said, now I'm going to do it to myself. for Every single day, I'm going to break myself, ash myself, and replant myself anew. So once you start living life that way, it's like every dimension, spiritually, intellectually, emotionally, physically, in your relationships, financially, if you're not pushing, you're not growing. So the fact that Kodesh Baruch Hulil broke my life, it was the biggest gift ever. So what do I want to go through again? No. Would I ask Hashem for the challenge? No. But it was the greatest. Like, as I'll say, not, uh, we don't want the Nisiyanot and we don't want the Schad. We don't want the test and we don't want the reward. Exactly. That's why David, by the way, David Melech was like reprimanded by Kosh Baruch Hu for asking for the challenge, right? Kosh, the Gemara says that David said, why is it, you know, you know, why not okay David? And Hashem said, oh, because they were challenged. And David said, okay, so challenge me. And David failed. David failed the Nisayah. So all, so we're not going to go into that because did he really fail? The whole thing about Shabbat, we're not going to go into now. But a lot of the Balaam al say that the, the, he didn't fail the challenge. He failed because he asked for the challenge. Right? It's the, the small, obviously we're talking about that from also small, small, small element of gaiva of saying, like, give me the challenge because I can overcome it. Like, that's the challenge. So don't ask for the challenge. But once the challenge is given, then the principle of what doesn't give you a challenge you can't overcome, then that applies. Then you can become, meaning create your own challenges. Don't ask Hashem to challenge you. I mean, push yourself, don't ask. But once Hashem gives you the push, oh my gosh, that's the biggest gift. And when you view life that way, because all of life is pain and challenge, like you won't have, you're either in a challenge, coming from a challenge, going towards a challenge, like life is, is, is challenge. But then you can view life very differently as opposed to like, when's the challenge going to end? It's like that's saying, when's life going to end? Like that is life. Life is a struggle, a meaningful struggle. And then you just learn to realize that the growth comes from pushing through that pain. Can't build muscle. So all of this that you went through, this, this breakdown that inspired like immense growth, right? Um, that was all in yeshiva and in Israel learning. And then you end up in YU in a more like academic scene, right? So like, how do you, how did you manage to, 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 balance. to balance academia? Because right? I know you didn't stop at, at YU. You went on to, to you know, Harvard and, and University of Chicago. So like, how do, you, how do you balance these two complete opposite worlds? How do you stay Jewish in such 
places where there's so much outside pressure and maybe for other people also so because i'm sure many people struggling they want to be jewish but they have this outside pressure they, they're with like more secular people and they feel like pressure to almost like kind of like fit more in maybe mm -hmm. ah, oh here's some yeah, advice or something also yeah that's a great question it's a great question and i would see that it's a complicated question because back back then when i was i was very very young and i wanted to change the world I wanted to inspire class. I wanted to go out. And I literally, I spoke to everyone who was doing it, everyone who was speaking and, you know, leading communities and was, you know, making an impact on the world. And I saw all the different models. And I wanted to basically take the best of everything. I wanted to take the best of every model. So in terms of the Gemara Bian model, I wanted to become like the biggest Ham Chacham, Rosh Hashiva standard of the, you know, not just the YU world, but like YU world was, that's, you know, where I went to Yeshiva. And I wanted to become the biggest, you know, Lamdan, Gmarbian, knowing like literally from like the deepest, most most sophisticated analytical approach of Gmarbian to Allah. You know, I went to YU, I got Smicha, but I also wanted to become the biggest Balmachshava. And in the realm, you know, Maharal, Ramchal, and yes, Nefeshachayim, Tanya, Ritzadak, Kivitach, Moshe Shapira, Weinberger, like the greatest thinkers, not to basically have, you know, Halach and Gemara in one camp and Machshav in another, but to become like fully, fully devoted to becoming the best in both and to really understand the harmony and oneness of, you know, Machshav and Kabbalah and Musr and Machshav and Halacha and Gemara and like, it's not just A or B or this true or that true. It's the depth of Torah. But I also wanted to have the biggest impact possible. And that included becoming the best public speaker I can possibly become, right? A lot of great intellectuals and thinkers and even Magidi Shir and Gemara and Halakha, they don't know how to instill a will, a passion to inspire an audience. And people who are inspirational, usually, you know, airheads who don't really, they're not thoughtful, they're not intellectual, they're not brilliant, they're just very motivational. So I wanted to like take the best of public speaking, of, of inspirational speaking in the Jewish and non-Jewish world. I studied the greatest speakers I could find. But then also you look at someone like Jonathan Sachs. And Jonathan Sachs, I don't agree with everything, you know, philosophically in terms of his Ashkafa, but the fact that he went to Cambridge and Oxford and the fact that he had that background, the elite academic background. When I was younger and I wanted to give shir and people say like, who are you? Like, why should I go to your shir? Like, what degrees do you have? What institutions have you studied at? Are you educated? Are you, you know, well-rounded? And are you, have you been exposed to the wisdom of the world? So I was young enough to basically go on this incredibly ambitious, you can call it like a Kiva project, you can call it, like my goal to inspire Israel, which was like to get to answer all of those no's before they're even asked. So I got a master's in education. I got a master's in Jewish thought. I studied at Harvard. I'm getting a PhD in University of Chicago. I got certified as a coach from Tony Robbins Institution. And my goal is basically very simple. I'm not an academic and for very, very strong reasons, but when you can play the game, which is that if people are shallow enough that they need the degrees, they need the Ivy Leagues, they need things like that, I, I'm willing to do that in order to be able to get to them and teach them the actual content and ideas. And there's nothing, if, by the way, like 
that's not we don't want to conflate teva and natural wisdom and philosophy and psychology and physics and biology and chemistry with the university because all of that's great and when you understand how to see the world through the lens of torah and you understand source and expression the physicals and expression of the spiritual so when you learn the deeper ideas of torah and then you learn physics and chemistry and biology and quantum mechanics and mathematics like you see it come to life you learn the maharal and learn math Brilliant. Learn that Riza and learn quantum mechanics. Incredible. Incredible. But that's not really what the university represents. It's a very, very leftist, anti-religious groupthink environment. So for someone who's just becoming the product of the system, who is not extracting what they want to extract and building their own system, it's not a good place for you because you'll become very confused and very you'll become the product of the system. And it's the same thing, by the way, in yeshiva. It's the same thing in any, in, in why you, in really any system, unless you know what you want from the system, you're going to become the system. You're going to become the product of the system. So people who are passionate and driven and they're building themselves, they take whatever, the, they take the best of the system that they can offer and they add it to their system as they continue to grow. Otherwise people end up lost because they end up just being pulled in a million different directions. They don't know who they are because they, they never ask that question. The university does not help you become more self-aware. It does not help you build yourself. It does not help you understand who you are. It just tells you what you should Tells you who you are. Exactly. And I feel that's the same also with like social media and stuff. If you just like, you can learn so much on the internet, you can really be sucked into it and really yeah. get lost like you're saying. Or you can just like, just know what you're looking for and just take the best out of it, right? And by the way, social media is even, I mean, internet, it's so, it's to find great thinkers, great thinkers, great, I mean, really qualitative sources of information and das and deeper knowledge and practical knowledge, like that's amazing. But the world is flooded with information, right? You, it's like anyone writes a book nowadays, anyone writes a safer, anyone shares information and to filter out the infinite influx of information and get quality content is hard. Everyone is pretending like they're the expert. So you kind of lose, it's very easy to lose hope that there's like really good content out there. The internet's amazing, you have access. Too much access, you have access. Learning how to filter and do it right, you have literally, like you used to have to live in the same town as a great person to learn from them. Now you can learn from anybody you can learn from anybody throughout history and you can learn from anybody in the world. But that's only when you're using it. Most people, they're not driven enough to filter out and focus and use, they're used by it. And social media is designed to use you, to literally overcome your sense of agency and suck you into their portal and keep you there. That's how they make money. That's the entire system. You just, they just made an amazing video showing uh, one friend to come save another friend from being, uh, you know, just scrolling away. And then as soon as he pulls the video out of the hand of the friend, he gets caught in it. It's an endless <laughs> loop. And by the way, it's like, that's everything in life. It's that like every koach has the potential to be good, has the potential to be bad. And the greater the koach, the greater the, the bad. So social media is probably the most powerful, most potent koach in the entire world right now, like equal to internet, but different than internet like it's like literally in the power 
It can, like what we're doing now for someone who literally is, I'm going onto social media, I'm going onto the internet, I'm going to log in to literally tap into the concepts of life and truth and wisdom and purpose. And that's why I'm doing it. And then I'm going to go back out. Amazing. That's not how most people experience anything. Most people, they don't have the willpower, focus, and clarity to know how to extract. So they have the good and the bad. They're just confused. They're overwhelmed with everything. And everyone's trying to, like, there's so many alternate motivations involved with social media. Like, everyone's tracking your, your likes and your clicks and your information and sending you, like, the right things to try to keep you on and try to literally, like, just overtake you without you realizing it. So it's not a conspiracy theory. Like, this is, there's endless, endless data. But the real point is that when you learn how to use everything, you learn how to use money, you learn how to use Torah. Like a lot of people, like there are people who get overwhelmed with the Torah aspect of life and all of their want is covered. Like they just want to be like the biggest to like get covered in their community. So like their entire life is like being the, the, the biggest so that everyone worships them because they got obsessed with that because when they were in yeshiva, everyone valued who knows the most blah, who can sit for the longest. And you literally lose focus of the MS, which is, are you an Evan Hashem? Are you devoting your life to the Are becoming all that you become? And you just change your value from being the coolest in high school to being the biggest in yeshiva. And you just start playing these games. And it's like, once you understand the game you're playing, you can start to overcome the struggle. But if you won't acknowledge that you're living your life because you care about what other people think of you, or you're living your life because of some limiting belief that you're not good enough, or you have to be good at this, or you're not, Hashem won't love you unless you do this. And like, yes, you don't want to underplay like the full seriousness of living a life of Torah, Mrs. and but once you kind of understand how you view the world, you can healthily start questioning. like. Where did I hear that from? Like, can I deepen it? Can I make it more genuine? Am I really living a life of truth? Am I pretending to live a life of truth so that people will think I live a life of truth? Am I really striving to devote my life to Hashem or do I want people to think that I devote my life to Hashem because that will get me more likes on social media and, you know, maybe get me a shidduch and get me... It's like, once you go past the surface of everything and anything, like, life becomes real. And once you open yourself up to being real... You can start actually stop living. It's like Purim. Purim is like we put on the mask to represent the fact that all year round we wear a mask. And most of the time we aren't fully aware that we're wearing a mask because the mask is like inside. Like we're not really in touch with ourselves. Like we hide ourselves from ourselves. And the more in touch we become with ourselves, the more we start to realize how number one, we weren't in touch with ourselves. And number two, so many people around us in our own relationships are not being real with us or with themselves. And then we can start on the journey. So, so much of life is a journey of consciousness, which it's very easy, by the way, in Hasidus and Kabbalah to kind of like do away with intellect and philosophy and rational thinking. It's the marriage between the two. It's like the journey towards Chachma is Bina. Like the journey towards wisdom is intellect. And the greatest marriage is the marriage between those two of Das, which... Yeah. I just spoke at a Chabad conference July. Like that's what Chabad is. does. So when you're living an incredibly conscious, aware, intellectually vibrant, emotionally present life, living Torah, not just learning Torah, devoting your life to greatness in the highest sense, which is becoming you, then not only are you so unbelievably filled with with like genuine happiness, but you cannot but want to share that with others. 
and that really became that became the start of, of my journey. That was really what led to like my devotions. I wanted to devote my life to, you know, you know, inspiring Klai Yisrael with the deepest elements of Torah thought and becoming the biggest Amchacham and helping others do, do the same as well. Yeah, so you're like very connected basically when you're saying all these things like also with Chabad, like Chochmah Bin Adar, like that's why they can go out in the world because they're so connected to like the Rebbe and, and to Hashem and to to the knowledge and to like they were like an understanding and they're so focused that they can go out there in the world and not get influenced by the world and you're also like you're you're so passionate you know what you want you you go to these schools and to these universities and you know what how to extract but uh, i'm sure it wasn't always like this <laughs> or was it <laughs> no 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 not at all i mean the the biggest struggle there are two two big struggles that I had. One that everyone has, and the other. I mean, in the, in the previous thing you asked me how old I was, right? I wouldn't tell you right. how old I was. The, and the reason is because when I started, I was I'm, I'm still pretty young, but I was very very young, and age definitely plays like a role. Five. I'm just yeah, like five years ago, seventeen years. Okay, um, but uh, when you when you we're getting over already closer, you know. Like uh, <laughs> we're getting to the road of Remes. It's not a hundred, not five. <laughs> I age backwards. I'm like I'm seventy nine. <laughs> um, no, but the, it's it's a, it's an interesting thing. It's like I told you, I told you guys last time. Which, by the way, there is this like very special like you know podcast that we did. That one of these days someone's gonna find it, and it's gonna be. A- <laughs> Um, Someone that works at Zoom. <laughs> they're like okay. you know, filtering through like the um, like the cloud, like you know, so like, wow, this is good stuff. Like you know, gonna <laughs> um, but it was it was the biggest struggle I had because I was I was literally a kid and all I wanted to do it's like you know you read you know the classic story of the guy who wanted to look older so his beard you know kind of grew overnight to his Saturday night. So I wanted that, like I wanted to just, you know, look older, be older so I can actually have the impact I wanted to have because here's, here's like a very powerful truth, which I'm sure some people will relate to. If you spend a month, one month, all day, every day for a month straight, 18 to 20 hours a day, fully, fully, fully focused. You get rid of all distraction. You go all in, immersive. You start to literally devote your entire life to anything. And you feel the Torah and you feel of wisdom, a profession, a hobby, a passion, whatever it is, you will become amazing. A month, all day, every day. Do that for three months and you'll break ground that you never thought was possible. Do that for a year. You'll become literally one year, all day, every day, immersed, obsessed, all in, focused, driven, exponential growth you'll be top 1% in the world. Do that for five years and you'll be the best in the world. The thing is that no one does it for a month. Like life is literally one distraction, one challenge, one thing after another. People like, they kind of like dabble, but they just like go to their job, they eat, they sleep, they get by, they like have these inspirational visions and they go back to life. They have their wake up calls, they go back to life. Hello comes, they have their goals, they go back to life. No one that we know, like normal people, are really living that type of life. And we have literally like put on a pedestal normalcy. Like, oh, it's good. Like that. he's normal, like normal, it's normal. Like normal's good. But when you go all in, you just start to live life differently. 
and you start to become so much more than you ever thought was possible. And then age becomes like the number one thing holding you back. Because in almost all fields, like in, in, in let's say sports, sports, the younger you are, the better, right? It all goes downhill. Like there's a certain prime, like 20 to 28, and then it's just downhill, your body starts to fade. In wisdom and in, in rabbanus, it's only uphill. So most people only start to really become known when they've been like, you know, assistant rabbi, a rabbi went through the motions and had like a really good couple shirim, and then they start to like actually build a following. And then over the course of 30 years, they're like 50, and people start to like hear about them, they invite them to speak, and then they write their book, and then like they're 55, and then they start, right? That's like, you know, prime real estate and, you know, impact. I was 18 when I started. 18. I'm not waiting that long. I can tell you that. <laughs> I was 18, 20 when I started. And I was like, I can't do that. Like, I, I'm ready now. Like, I'm obviously not ready now in the sense that I have so much more that I'm going to become. But I have so much value to offer. And I couldn't. So the fact that I was so young, that's why I had the time to basically say, okay, I'll get all these degrees. I'll, you know, basically lay down all these roots. I'll do it the right way. I'll interview everyone who's done it and say, what would you have done differently? What did you learn? What worked? What didn't work? Why do you do it this way? Um, but over the course of just a couple of years, I was able, because I'm so committed. I'm so all in. I'm so immersive. I'm literally, this is all I do every day is think, write, teach, like build the brand, build the business, build, expand the level of impact, you know, reaching out. I get a million no's for every one yes I get, but because I've gotten, you know, hundreds of yeses, everyone just thinks that it's hundreds of yeses. They don't realize that you have to overcome an insane amount of resistance to build that momentum. And to actually start building success in every area, in, in teaching Torah, in building the social media um, impact, in building the business, in getting speaking gigs, all of these things take so much time and people don't have the patience. They're just like, once they get enough no's, they're like, okay, it must be no. But you're just waiting for that yes. And most people, you have to realize they'll say yes because you asked. But you just have to like, you have to keep on trying. And a coach Baruch who's going to give it to you if, I mean, you have to kind of play this, like, when you get all those no's, you have to say, like, does Hashem really, is Hashem saying no? Or is Hashem saying, like, you haven't paid your Hishdalas yet? You have to keep on pushing. And you have to really know. It's one podcast just enough. So you have to record. Yeah, exactly. It's like, it's like you know, though we, we've hit record it somewhere, it's somewhere, you know, like, well, just wait. Like, kind of like, but when you, like, there's nothing else. It's like, there's a great line. It's really, really hard to make it. We talked the last time really hard to make it as a creative right if you're an artist if you're a thinker if you're a speaker if you're trying to do something on social media if you're trying to literally if you're trying to monetize content it's almost impossible you will fail that's for sure only few will fail enough that they like find a way to succeed right most people will fail enough that they give up it's just the way it works to be like uh, benny freeman has this great line where he's like the only way you can make it in the music industry is if you literally cannot live without doing it. Because otherwise it's insane. Like, why would you do it? Like, almost no one makes it. You know, you very hard to make a living doing it. The schedule is crazy. It's like anyone who's doing like these types of things, when you're on a public platform, you're sharing yourself, you're sharing content, you're sharing ideas, you're getting, like, if you do it well, where you're actually getting paid to do what you love, first of all, you don't, 
most people don't see the parts that aren't, you know, so glittery and so nice. Like when you do a whole podcast and it disappears, so you do it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but there's so much that goes into it, so much behind the scenes. It's not worth it practically. The only way it's worth it is if you're, you literally, like you love it, is what you were born to do. It's your passion, you're driven, you're focused, you're self-aware, it's your, it's your vision, it's your passion. But the only way to get to that point is when you, first of all, become self-aware to, self-aware enough to locate what that is. What am I going to devote my life to? Um, but then it's so, so part of your identity that it's literally the only way you can live life. The only thing I'm thinking about when you're saying this is like my move to Israel. Like at a certain point, I was just like, you're living here and you will never, ever, ever live anywhere else. So you need to learn the language as soon as possible. You need to make friends as soon as possible. And you have to go to, at the time, that's what I thought I needed to do is like, you need to go to the army and understand how this country works. And like, I did it all and I'm here 12 years later. And I think it all came from that point of like, I'm here. Like I'm, like you're saying, you're like, I'm completely submersed in Israel. I'm not going anywhere. I need to do whatever I can now at 17, 18 to make sure that I'm, I'm okay when I'm at 20 something, you know, and then I did it. So. Amazing. It's amazing. Yeah. And it's also like everyone who's living like a passion driven life, they have some story. And the thing is that everyone has a story. Just the people who are living like a passion driven life, they're aware of their story mm-hmm. and they're trying to, fully harness with their wake-up call their sense of like Hashem put me in this world that's why it's like I'm not Chabad but the idea of Shlichus the idea that you're on a mission like that's everyone we're all literally on a mission it's like the, the one aspect that I love about the Rebbe is the idea that he wasn't just a normal leader normal leaders create followers he was a leader that created leaders he literally empowered other people and it's it's also it's when I was when I was younger that's what I was set out is like I want to build the ultimate mount, right? So I basically, in terms of Gemara Be'in, like Rosh Hashivas, in terms of Machshava Be'in, like the greatest Bali Machshava, in terms of impact, like the greatest impactors, in terms of public speaking, I want to become the best speaker. But then so many people, they, they said that the best way to really succeed is to become financially independent. And the reason is very simple. It's because... The way that this works when you're like a creative, when you want to be like a speaker or a thinker or create content or be an artist or things like that, is that at the very beginning, get no traction, right? No followers, no likes, no one cares, no one's listening, no one's watching, no one's reading. And you basically have to go through this process where you basically say, am I not good enough? Or does am I not doing it right? Or is this just not working out? Am I not supposed to do this? And you go through this and you basically say, no, I'm, I'm going to keep at it. And then you start to realize that to monetize it's very hard. So there's a couple ways, and we talked about this last time, is that one way is to sell out, is to basically, you'll monetize it because you'll have to give up a lot of who you are and why you went into it in order to make money. And after not making money for enough, when you can't pay the bills, there's just so many options. So one way is to basically just sell it, right? You kind of like, you, you lose the original vision and image and brand so that you can make money. And then you wake up 10 years later and say like, who am I? What is this? This is not even what I wanted to do or why I went into it or what I wanted to create. I don't even know who I am or what this is like, where am I? Who am I? Why am I doing this? The other option is to do the practical thing, which is most people do, is to get a job on the side, right? You pay the bills and the, the fact that you have a living and that you make a parnosa allows you to do what you love. 
right? So you play gigs on the weekend, you create content at night, you do whatever it takes to support your vision. Now, the other option is to find a way of doing it internally enough so that you're actually using what you love to support what you love, whether by doing that, the actual thing itself or something new. So what this means is basically, it's like you can become the best at what you do. And if you become the best at anything, you'll make a great living. I guarantee it, no question. You become the best at what you do, but it's like, you really have to become the best at what you do. Like then I'm just comparing myself to other people. So it's, it's complicated. Cause like, what about the fact that I should just be comparing myself to myself? In the Western world and capitalistic society, that doesn't work. It's not about spiritual growth where it's, you know, are you becoming the best version of you? It's, are you the best, right? Because money- It's external, it's external. You compared to the other guy selling next to you. Exactly. Self-worth is internal. It has nothing to do with other people. But success in the external world, it's-, it's Only judged by others. Objectified, exactly. And it's, it's very, a lot to talk about that. It's a very interesting dynamic. But the way that I built, like for me personally, if it were up to me, I'd just be learning and thinking and writing and teaching all day, every day. But I built the business, I built the thought leadership business to support the mission and vision of writing's farm. Of when I travel to speak, I don't have to charge as much because you know I make my money other places. So the way I built it is that what I'm really doing is I'm writing, I'm thinking, I'm learning, I'm teaching, I'm speaking, I'm recording content, and that's really what I do. I built the social media platform where I'm impacting tens and tens of thousands of people every day in order to share value, build the brand, share content, build connections, build relationships, and really build the awareness, build the shame, so to speak, which will help feed into everything. So from those people, you know, they're coming to my website, I have tons of content, shirim and lectures and recordings and articles and stuff on my website. And then I have, you know, the smallest buy-in is my safe firm, $30, right? For, you know, many, many, many years of work, $30 is not that much, right? The, the best value you know, for your $30, I think, you know, you can get. And that's like my life's work. It's Machshava Be'in, organized according to the power show with inspirational stories to frame the ideas. And it's content that's really like not dumbed down at all, but designed to be written in the most accessible way possible. Digestible. Digestible. And then like the next level is my masterclass, my self-mastery course, which is more expensive. It's a recorded 10-week course that goes into the deepest principles of building your identity, identifying your purpose, mastering your mind, building confidence, you know, clarifying your purpose and your vision, creating goals that last, developing, uh, you know, the will and motivation to really go all in, how to build your environment, how to really build your ultimate self and really live the, the ultimate life you can live. And then the real business is for, you know, I coach CEOs, I coach business owners, and that's like, you know, the highest ticket, so to speak. That's like where the real business, let's say, you know, hundreds of thousands of people are reached in general. Like I'm writing for newspapers all over the world. I'm creating videos all of them, doing podcasts, doing interviews, sharing content, doing posts. Like that's for like almost everyone. And like thousands of people are reading the safer, hundreds of people are taking the course, and then tens of people are doing the coaching and it's like a trickle system where like the you know the higher the ticket the less people are going to buy in but that's where you actually build the business and that system has allowed me 
to really do what I love, which is to speak, to teach, to think, to write, to educate, to inspire. And it's, it's funny we're talking about this. My biggest struggle at this point is that my ichor and what I do and what I love and what I want to be known for is, you know, the rabbi, the thinker, the speaker, the educator. But so often when I, you know, I'm doing interviews and podcasts, people are much more interested in the business and like how to, you know, build the business. And it's like, it's so true because it's, it's the biggest struggle nowadays is that someone goes into Clay Kodesh because they love Torah, they love Hashem, they love Klai Yisrael. But then why should it be that in order to go into that, you have to like, you know, struggle your entire life to make a living, right? It's like, there, there's, a, there's a level of chachma to it, but it's like, here's the thing, Adam's curse, the fact that we have to make a living. For most people, it's the biggest curse in their life. Because either it becomes their whole life, they become so obsessed with their pranasa that they don't really devote their life to Klai's, Rosh Hashem, or to Torah. Or it's the biggest curse because they devoted their life to Klai Yisrael, Tashav to Torah, and th they literally, their biggest struggle and, and, and constant struggle is how am I putting food on the table? Like, how am I going to pay the bills? Am I mean, Akhun says, like, how much, how much could we do if we didn't have this Yitzhara of chasing after money? Exactly, exactly. There's also a whole mimer based on it, mimer Abim, where it's all about the, the, the flood of, like, this, of making a living, or just, like, flooding you. And how can you, can the flame like stay, stay mm -hmm. lit? Mm -hmm. But the biggest, the biggest, the, the most incredible, incredible cloud you can ever really understand in this world is that when you turn the klala into a bracha, just like the bracha can be turned to a klala, it's like Bilam's curses were turned to brachas. When you can turn that klala into a bracha, you can realize that the fact that you have to make a living makes you think about what you want to do with your life. Now, a lot of people, if they could, they'd do nothing, but they can't. They have to do something. So making a living makes you force yourself to say, what if I'm going to do something, what am I going to do? All right? And now that you have to do something, you can say, might as well devote my life to the most meaningful thing that I possibly could do. And once you're doing that, it's not the only option is Klegodesh. It's that whatever you're doing, now is how you're going to use your time. But now you're going to use your time for something. Now, if you can uplift the klal into bracha, which is that the fact that I have to make a living, the fact that I have to devote my life to something, number one, I'm going to become the very best I possibly can at that. I'm going to ask myself, what is it worth doing? What was I designed to do? What am I going to do every single day? Now, it's very interesting what you're saying. You're basically using it as an advantage. Exactly. Not many people do that. Most people, they just make a living. They get by. And then they, you know, either are exhausted at night, they watch TV, they junk food, they, you know, just, you know, talk about nothing with people or they're just like, that. but if you can use the fact that you have to do something with your life to say, what would I do? Like, what am I going to do that I'm going to become the best? I'm going to love it. I'm going to master. I'm going to devote my life to literally becoming the best I can be and to sharing value with other people and to making the world a better place. Now, if that becomes Torah, if that is Torah, if that is Klikodesh, then it's, it's, it's almost like what happened to the world? Like, why do we value certain things more? Like we don't value educators. We don't pay them well. We don't value Rabbanim or, or people in China. We don't pay them well. And there's a lot of times the, the, the milk that's brought to the kolel is the milk that was about to go bad and you know, the cheaper biscuits. The world is this. upside down. That's yeah. sure. So here's where you can flip it on its head. It's like, 
in the Jewish world, you don't get paid so much for speaking gigs. You don't get paid so much for, you definitely go paid, you don't make any money when you write a sefer. Uh, you don't get paid to be mechanic, but you do get paid for certain things. Now, it's very interesting. Coaching, consulting, there's nothing fundamentally different from coaching and consulting than being a rabbi, being a mechanic, being a teacher, right? It's just a word. You just change the word from teacher to coach. Now, when you can share value, you want a brand. That's what that's what building a brand is. It's understanding how to help people understand the value you're offering. Because schools have become so unattached to what they should be, which is helping people actualize their potential, become more self-aware, vibrant, unique, and become who they're supposed to become. It's just like going through the system, getting a job, and going on with your life. I'm just going through the motions and like our yeshivas are not designed to build thoughtful, real bali, like real comedy people who are thinking and it's just like, you know, learning, 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 learning. But if people understood the value of content, the value of wisdom, the value of principles and ideas, one cloud, one idea is worth a billion dollars. Like the teacher that molds your inner mind, that helps you think differently, that helps really shift you and connect things together, you'd pay that person a billion dollars if you could. It's the most valuable thing in the world. So the world does value transformation. It does value uh, performance. It values uh, the ability to master your relationships, mastering your psychology, to get rid of stress and anxiety, to, like, the world values that. They just don't value, like, certain words, like chinuch, education, school. So I'm a thinker. I'm a philosopher. I'm an aspiring Talmud Chacham. But I've devoted my life to mastery, to mastering the process of life, of wisdom, of purpose, of literally trying to live the ultimate life I could, which is living the life I was designed to live, actualizing my purpose, and helping other people do the same. And people will pay money for that. So even though I'm doing fundamentally the same thing I'm doing you know, for free, when I you know, give shirim and write my sefer and go and travel. It's not free when I travel and speak, but if I'm being paid a certain amount per hour and then I'm traveling to speak for a couple thousand dollars for extended weekend, you know, you're not being paid very much per hour. But the ability to build the business, which allows you to self-support the vision of actually living a life of purpose, meaning, and Torah, and being Marvitz Torah, like that's, that's incredible. And that's really valuable. It's the, it's the ability to not choose one value over another, but to balance all of them. It's like most people, it's like if you're growing financially, are you growing spiritually? If you're growing spiritually, are you exercising? If you're exercising, how's your marriage? Your marriage is good, like how's your emotional health? If you like you choose your battles, like you're doing well in like one area or another, but to really level always on the account of something else. Exactly. It's like most people, they choose their battles, right? They just kind of give up on one thing. It's like, no, I'm not, like, I don't exercise. Like, I'm a, you know, or I only do halacha. I don't do gemar. I only do gemar. I don't do machshav. I only do machshav. I don't do, it's like people like to choose. And it's like A or B. But when you devote your life to wholeness, to oneness, to integrating, to living life of true harmony, which is not listening to that initial voice, which is, that, oh, that's too hard. Like, I can't do that. Like, I can't learn gemar and machshav and halacha and moser and psychology, and be financially successful. Like, I have to choose. You don't have to choose. You just think you have to choose. And when you raise your own standards and say, I was designed for incredible things, like, I can literally do this. If I raise my standards, if I, if I get rid of all the garbage in my life that's holding me back, stop eating those foods and hanging out with the wrong people, and stop feeding, like, listening to that voice inside my head that tells me I'm not good enough, 
or maybe it was a parent or a teacher or a friend that convinced me I wasn't good enough. But I start literally expecting greatness out of me because I was built to and all the I was designed to literally become incredible. And I have no idea what that is yet because that's why I'm still alive. I'm literally here to figure it out. And you'll find your purpose of contributing to other people as you go on that journey. And you know, talking about struggles, usually your biggest struggles and your biggest pain points and things that have broken you are literally the things that have given you the greatest skills and experiences of helping you discover who you are. And when- Moshe went inside the, the fog because that's where Hashem is. You know, it's uh, it's in that undecided, that uncomfortable, that dark place. It's in that. It's like it's a famous uh, passion Zohar that it's this, we live in the state of Torah Path, right? No longer there's no longer Nevuah, no longer miracles, because in a world full of light, a candle can't do much, but in a world of darkness, a candle can spread a lot of light. So the stage of clarity disappears so you can build the clarity, right? The learning cultural in the womb disappears so you can rebuild it, right? The first luchos are broken so you can rebuild it. Uh, the first podcast gets lost. Everything, exactly, by the way, it's true. We talked about this. We were discussing whether we should re-record the first episode or create a better one. And we were like, no, the first one was lost so that we can literally like have the get into the right state of mind to build something even better. And it's like, when you get so fixated in what's lost, you don't realize that it's only lost so you can build something based off of what was lost, because that's an ideal, but it's even better this time because now it's built. It's like the Torah that you learn is, it's the same Torah that you lost, but it's better because you built it. Because the Kosh Baruch Hu is saying that that's a gift, but now I want you to build it yourself. So go into the fog and now like create that light. Like within the within the shefa, within the darkness, and that's why people, if you learn how to view pain and loss and challenge as opportunity, as counterintuitive as that is, as opportunity, because that's where all growth is born. That you don't become great despite your challenges; you become great because of them. It's like literally the only way to grow. You want to build muscle, you have to rip it apart. You want to grow intellectually, you have to mentally struggle. You want to grow in your level of awareness, of self-awareness, of meditative ability, ability to concentrate and focus. You have to struggle. But that's literally the only thing worth doing. It's like, if you're this in, is life. not growing. And if you're not growing... So I, I, could, I could ask this question for, you know, for a friend. <laughs> but why, why front? I'm struggling, right? I, I'm blown away by, like, the... Um, the systematic approach of right like i have the lowest price point is the book and then i have that and i have all these different forms and levels of content that i'm creating and putting out there right some are free and in marketing style social media some are paid in some are super paid in right whatever it is for me and that friend that i'm asking for right how in the world do i get to where you are not not in a in a sense of jealousy yes jealousy but jealousy of success right of, of healthy jealousy how do how does a person that has that is sitting on that powder keg which i'm sure you've experienced and you probably still do throughout your week right that i'm exploding and i need to get this out and i have so much but it needs to come out in a structured way so that i can also benefit from it so i can continue to do it so that everyone can benefit how do you start to begin to 
to develop the bina of it, right? Of, of, of the next step. How do I take the chokhmah to the next step? Let's break that down. First of all, the structure element, the fact that a lot of people, they're either very creative or very structured. They're very spontaneous or they're very disciplined and like everything has to be exactly like set up. Learning how to balance all of these things is very important. A lot of people lean very much towards one or the other and they need either a partner who balances them or they need to become their own partner. By the way, in marriage, you need to marry yourself. There are different parts of yourself. So you want to create that oneness and harmony and balance in marriage in yourself, and you want to marry someone else, and you want to build that marriage and harmony outside of yourself. In terms of the question you're asking, it's fascinating, because like, at what point did it go from I, you know, Shmuel, like a simple guy who literally just decided that I am going to devote my entire life to becoming as great as I possibly can, all for HaKadosh Baruch Hu, all for Hashem, and help everyone else do it. Like, when did I become that crazy kid when people ask me, what do you want to do? And I would always say, I want to change the world. And they'd be like, like, what? Like, you know, that's not what people say. Like, I want to be a doctor, I want to be a lawyer. Like, and then they say, like, how do you want to change the world? And I give them an actual answer. Like, I actually tell them, like, well, I want to, like, you know, create community and write Svarim and create courses and, like, you know, build, like, you know, this and create this. And they'd be like, what in the world? Like, where did that come from? And, like, where did I go from a kid who had this dream to a kid who was actually doing it? And where did I go from the kid who was actually doing it to where people would say, oh, like you who are doing this and this and this and have done this and this and this, like, how can I do, like, wh where, where, like, at what point does it go from, like, the person who wants to do it, the person who's doing it, the person who's starting to succeed, the person who's successful, and the person other people come to? And the answer is, like, it's so unclear. And I'll be very honest with you. It's like, the people who are listening now, they might look at you and say, like, one day, one day, I hope that maybe someone can listen to my podcast. One day, I want to be as successful as Chassan. Like, one day, I want to be like you, right? Meanwhile, you're looking at people who are ahead of where you are, not in a bad way, but just in the relativity of progress and growth. And you have to recognize that you're exactly where you need to be, but you're not where you are. You're not, you're not where you should be in the future. As in, like, you're exactly where you need to be, but you cannot be here tomorrow or in five years. Be happy in the present and still aspire for more. That's why gratitude is amazing. It helps you realize that you have everything you need and the thirst and hunger for growth and meaning and more wisdom and more, like, more success and more accomplishment, more impact. That's, you need both. You need to be fully satisfied and never satisfied. You need to be always happy where you are and never happy where you are. And that paradoxical balance is so important. So that's number one. Number two is you want to really assess what's been working for you. You want to assess what am I, number one, what am I already really good at? What do I love? What do I, what do I, what have I mastered? What have I worked on? What's working? Like what, how have I gotten to where I've gotten until now? And it's the same thing, by the way, we're talking a little more like professionally, business-wise. Personally, you want to say, Am I intellectual? Am I, am I, you know, mathematical? Do I work very well with people? Am I artistic? Am I creative? Am I ambitious? Do I want to go into, you know, a regular nine to five job? Do I want to be a lawyer, doctor, accountant? Do I want to create a business? Do I want to, um, you know, go into content and ideas and, and Torah wisdom and different, what do I, what do I love? What am I drawn to? What do I want to become literally amazing at? And then by the way, those are very different. What you love and what you're good at are not always the same. A lot of people, they love to sing, not very good at it, right? So you want to really match this up. You want to say also, what can I do to bring value to people's lives? Like, 
in terms of like, I might love it, I might be good at it, but no one cares about it. And number three is how can I make a living doing it? How can I monetize it? When you have all four of those, that's the best career ever. Most people, they have to kind of like sacrifice a couple and say, okay, I'm good at it and I can make a living doing it. I don't like it, right? And I, you know, I'm, not, I'm really good at it. It brings value to people, but uh, I can't monetize it. Okay, so you have to kind of figure out like where you fall in that, in that category. But then you want to basically say, who's done what I'm doing well? And you'll usually find a couple people. And you want to say, hey, I'm either going to model one person's success or take the best of a couple different models. So in terms of monetizing podcasts, there are a couple of podcasts in the Jewish world that you know, have lots of advertising, right? That get you know the world's greatest A or B types of people. And if I become more and more successful at what I do, I can draw those people and then I can get those ads. That's one way of monetizing. You want to also say like, what are other ways that people monetize? So there's, there's coaching, there's creating courses, there's building a membership community. There's lots of different ways of monetizing what you're doing. But you also want to remember that you want to always remind yourself, I'm only monetizing so I can really keep focused on what I actually care about. Because it's very easy to kind of like devote your whole life to the content, then struggle to monetize it, and then devote your whole life to the monetization and forget about why you actually started, which is a lot of people. They kind of like become business, you know, Torah educators, but they're really just in the business. And that's also for me, like, everything is about teaching and thinking and writing the business it's a big part of it but it's really important to always remind yourself that the really the only only reason the only purpose is to support the Torah because Nechaz Chaim would say that what's the hatter of going to get a pranasa it's because you have to support your family you have to support the Torah you're learning but the only hatter to be mevantal Torah to go get a pranasa is if it's to support the learning of Torah. So what happens when you're not, what happens when you come home? What happens when you're not at your work? So most people are watching TV, they're hanging out, they're sleeping, they're reading, whatever it is. That's not learning Torah. So the hector of being the Torah to support it is retroactively undone when, when you have the time to learn Torah, you're not learning Torah. So, so then the, all the money that you brought in becomes Bitul Torah and you don't have the bracha and the money and all that. Yeah. Wow. So becoming... Becoming honest with yourself to say, and by the way, this is this is very important. This is idealistic. This is very difficult. It's very easy to be a only this or only that person. It's very easy to only do the, the Torah and struggle, only do the business and not really be a Tamachacham, only work on your emotions and not work on your intellect, only work on, you know, learn halacha or only learn Gemara and not learn Machshav. It's very easy to be a radical, to be an extremist, to be, you know, singular, to not be well-balanced, not be integrated, not be holistic, to not be, you know, a person who's a oneness person. It's also very easy to get overwhelmed or to fall apart when you try to do everything. So it's very, very important to know yourself, to know how to do it, to not add 25 things to your oneness, but add one dimension at a time and to build yourself while checking yourself, which is, the, that's why self-awareness is the most valuable asset in the world. Knowing how you think, how you learn, how you process, how you feel, how you experience life, how you grow, how you struggle, how you overcome, how you progress, that's the most, no one can tell you that except for you. And every psychologist and therapist and coach can help you, but the goal is to become your own. 
because only you really know what you're experiencing and what it's like to be you. And in terms of the steps, I would say this, I would say, number one, it's possible. Most people don't believe it's possible. They, they don't raise their standards and expect greatness in themselves because they don't think it's possible for them to have the life they know they want. I'm talking about like the good want, as in like the idea, like the L, like doing everything, striving, creating content, being successful financially so I can do it, but then focusing on the content and learning and growing and teaching, inspiring, impacting. And most people don't think it's for them. They want to do it, but they don't feel like they're capable or worthy of doing it. So they don't go all in. The only way to do it, if you want a life that most people don't have, you have to be willing to do what most people won't do, just to go all in, literally go all in. And you don't know what that means until you know that no one else around you knows what that means because you're literally just playing at a different level. It means you have to give up certain things that most people aren't willing to give up. It means you have to have 100% Hishtalos and 100% Imunah. Everything comes from Hashem, but I'm going all in, right? It reminds me of uh, what you're saying is like when I was in the army and like there was like the, the triads for the special forces, like slowly you see people are like lingering off and mm -hmm. the people who last, they're the ones that going all in and slowly, slowly it becomes like a very small group of people that literally are going all in and just willing to sacrifice everything to get. But while they're going all in, they're only applying 70% because they know they need to keep yeah, it's yeah, this yeah. whole mind yeah. mind game of of, yeah. of stamina versus yeah. you know power. It's crazy. Yeah. It's it's interesting because it is a self-selected group. It's like the people that do it. It's like let's just be honest. A lot of people will look at what we're doing now and they'll be like, number one, I don't know how they're doing this. Like, how are you just like talking and being genuine, having a real conversation about life and wisdom? Like, in, there's no script and you're being so open, but you're being real and there's real ideas here and you're talking about so many things and you're balancing it and there's so much vulnerability and you're like, they'll just be like, it's impossible. Like, I would never be able to do that. Did anyone tell you that you're able to do this? Anyone give you permission to do this? Anyone send you on like a specific mission and say, you have to show up at this? Like, no, we chose to do this. And we've obviously built the belief in ourselves that it's possible. And there's always a risk. We can always, you know, obviously you can edit. We're not going to edit, but you could edit if something goes wrong. But there's a certain point where you just give yourself permission to believe in Hashem's belief in you. It's like, there's a reason you're here. Now, you don't have to believe in that. You can believe that there's not a reason that you're here. But once you believe that there's a reason that you're here, why not see what you're actually capable of? Why not see if you can stop living your whole life saying, I wish I would live a better life. I wish I'd have a better marriage. I wish I'd be more self-aware. I wish I'd be more disciplined. I wish I had more vision and clarity. I wish I had better goals. I wish I took myself seriously and actually, you know, applied myself and followed through when I started something, not just like, you know, opened up and then closed the safe or started the DAF and closed the DAF or started learning this and stopped learning this or created this project and never followed through. But actually see like, what would your be life be like it's like when you read a novel and there's like this main character who goes on this crazy, incredible story and journey and mission and quest. And we all relate to that main character. We're like, Hashem created me. Like, I want to be that main character who like actually lives a life. It's like why we're all supposed to view the Avos as Romals. They were literally like these incredible, incredible people who went on this incredible mission. What about you? It's like, no, I'm just normal. I'm going to listen to this person's incredible story and I'm not going to actually live that life because that's not for me. I'm normal. I'm, not, I'm, I'm the person who's going to stay on the stands. 
and watch the other people, you know, on the stage, on the platform, do the amazing things. It's like, no. First of all, it doesn't mean you have to be on a platform, but it does mean you have to really ask yourself, what are you capable of? What are you actually capable of? And the answer is, we don't know. I don't know what I'm capable of. You don't know what you're capable of. There's only one way to find out, to start really creating a lifestyle that makes sense. What are you doing with your time? What's your schedule like? Who are you talking to? Are those people negative bringing you down? Are they sharing content and values and ideas and Torah? Do they love Torah? Do they love Hashem? Do you love Hashem? Do you love Torah? What are you surrounding your mind with? What is your actual schedule with? What are you learning every single day? Are you exercising? What are you feeding your mind? Are you around the right types of people? Are you in an environment of growth? How have you built your perception of Hashem, of mitzvahs, of Torah, of halacha, of, of any sugi, any concept in Torah? And have you basically set that as the way to look at it? Or are you endlessly expanding and growing and deepening and thinking and contemplating? Are you learning Torah or are you living Torah? It's like the moment you give yourself permission to live that incredible, like what if type of life, you actually start living it. And then once you start living it, this is by the way, it's the answer to the financial question. You wanna become financially, and we don't, we don't have to talk about millionaires, just like not worry about paying the bills so you can actually live out your mission and purpose. You wanna do that? Tell me how, tell me how, please. <laughs> Become extraordinary because you get paid your value. The more value you bring to people's lives, the more you get paid. It's as simple as that. If Whatever industry you're in, if you're bringing the most value to people by becoming valuable, by literally like investing in yourself, the moment that you start to soar and become, oh my gosh, like one day, like you just start to literally see yourself because you're building in that flow state and momentum and you're driven and you're literally growing and you're in love with the process, even though it's difficult and you just keep on going and you start producing such incredible content and value for other people, people pay for value. That's what money is. It's a value, right? So when you create and give over value, you won't get paid at first because there's a timetable for you to go from literally being no one to being someone that people recognize. It's like in advertising. You see an advert and you're like, it's annoying. Another one's annoying. But eventually you're like, there's a click. And like, you just know that like that thing exists and it's real, it's legitimate. It's, you know, built a level of credibility because you've seen it enough times. It's the same thing. You're starting out, no one knows who you are, no one cares. But building that credibility being seen enough and sharing incredible value and making people feel and experience something incredible. It's like being the best plumber in the world, you make a million dollars a year. Best plumber, right? Being the best at anything, anything. Devote your life, go all in and you'll make a great living. It takes time because that's the, it's what, if it was easy, everyone would do it. To go into any passionate, driven, oriented form of life you have to become an, some form of an entrepreneur. There, there's a form of it. In that realm of life, you, it takes time. Nine to five job is easy because you get paid right away. It's steady. There's a weekly or monthly paycheck and they give you enough that you can basically convince yourself that this is evidence, that this is what I'm supposed to do. Cause like, why do I want, why would I want my wife or my husband like stressing and struggling? I can't perform the table for my kids. It's like, but what type of parent do you want to be? You want to be the type of parent who hates their life and puts food on the table? Or do you want to be the parent who literally is living the life that Kodesh Baruch created them for, had to work for their success, but now is putting food on the table and living like a happy, vibrant, self-aware, driven, incredible person who doesn't regret their life? And like, what, what type of parent do you want their, your kid to have? Like, 
it, it's very simple. But the corporate world knows how the corporate world knows how to give you just enough that it's very hard to say no. So unless you're born yeah, work, what is it? Work life balance with the work coming first, you know, emphasizing the work part. Mm-hmm. You work and it will balance your life for you. Yeah. I mean, that's really, it's like, it's not so true anymore, but it definitely used to be where there was no, there was zero risk involved in getting a normal job. Right nowadays, like, because it's a little complicated, like there's no job certainty. <laughs> but it used to be that, like, you literally would have a nine to five for 40 years, get a gold watch and retire, right? And you wouldn't do anything with your life, but there was no need to because you'd have all your bills paid. Now it is not as push it, which is probably a big problem. Because, now it's, because it's not push it, people have to re-question whether they're just going to do this. It's more creative. It looks like the world is now pushing almost more towards a life of like, you have to go out there and figure it out. Like like you're saying, the nine to five is not so stable anymore as it used to be. We're like going to go back to being hunters. Might not be there, maybe. Yeah. Maybe. You know? yeah. But that's, we're forced now to find yeah, ourselves and make the best out of it, right? Yeah. But that's that's where you start to kind of see underlying currents of truth in the unfolding of reality. Like every generation has its like corruption of a deep Torah truth. So for example, like communism, a very, very deep concept of oneness and clown, but not a whole truth, a small truth. The whole like gender, the concept of like, like are we, like, so let's just start simple, evolution, right? So the breakdown between what's the distinction between animal and human, right? Because like, first of all, there's a lot of depth there in the sense, you know, the human being like is the culmination of all animal and shamas. And I guess that the, the very question of what's the distinction between animal and human has us question what's the distinction between animal and human gets us, you know, contemplating the nature of the shama. Then the question, what's the distinction between man and woman, or is there such thing as man and woman, gets at a corruption of the concept of no boundaries, of oneness, of getting past being, of getting past distinction, getting past, like these are brilliant, brilliant things. It's just that without the understanding of the underlying battle of the good and the point that it re-emphasizes and brings out, it's just like the world's lost. The world's not lost. It's just there's an evolution of thought and revelation and contemplation and awareness that will be expressed in the world as sheker, but actually help us reaffirm our commitment to truth and help us almost like a lot of people have a lot of trouble contemplating the idea of oneness, but if everyone in the non-Jewish world is arguing for it, like you start to say like, okay, if like everyone's saying there's no distinction between anything, like what is the concept of no distinction, but with distinction? And then you start to say like, I'm gonna give some thought to this because everyone's talking about it. And then you start to think about it and then you get permission to really go deep into it. So there's a beauty of the fact that the non-Jewish world is very, 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 and I mean very, cause I'm in this world like all the time you know, find your passion, make, make a million dollars doing, take this course and do this course and do this and make a million, Amazon this and do this. But you have to realize the truth and the corruption within that model. The non-Jewish world is obsessed with making passive income, doing what you love or are passionate about, but just so you can become a millionaire and not do anything with your life. Right? So just make money off of a hobby for no end goal, for no reason. It's another distraction. It's so close to truth, but it doesn't get all the way there. 
So what it does is it makes you re-question the system, which is always good. But when a lot of people are not nuanced or sophisticated enough to say, here's the question, let's go towards the answer, but just say like, oh, that must be the answer, you lose the point. So in the non-Jewish world, very few people are really focused on living life of passion, purpose, meaning, self-actualization, doing really what's difficult for your whole life. It's just doing what's difficult. It's like the classic line, do what nobody's willing to do for one year so you can do what nobody's able to do for the rest of your life, right? But that's not Torah. Torah is do what no one's willing to do forever. Like live a life of truth forever. You know, there's no like, you know, short-term truth for long-term nothingness. It's, I want to live this like Shabbos is me olam haba. Shabbos is you taste endpoint. You stop malacha, which comes with the source of malach, creative emanation from Hashem, that's an angel. And you experience the Gemara Brachos of Zion says, it's a taste of endpoint. So you experience being. But this world isn't being, it's becoming. So if your life is just to get to a point where you're wealthy and get vacation all day and do nothing, then you you'll never get there because you're only becoming. You'll never be that. So it's like, that's where the filtering process becomes so fundamental when you can filter and say the non-Jewish world is leaning towards you know uniqueness passion like do more what you love rather than just like give up your life and become you know sell your soul to the corporate world and make a living there's truth enough to that that they're on to something but to think for a second that they figured it out is to kind of bypass the process of thought which is like where does this fit into Torah thought like what is the Torah approach to bring every back, everything back to Torah. It's, it's not from the, their wisdoms, but not from their Torah. Not you know, it's, a little, it's very interesting, by the way. It's like anything that has real holding in the world, even if it's Sheker, if it has real holding, like Sheker in our Glion. So if it has holding, if it has, if it's like something that's really building momentum, there has to be some truth to it. And the goal is to extract, that's the, the, the famous Meimer Chazal, talk about how you want to extract the sparks from the nations. That was the whole purpose of Gullus, is to extract the sparks. So that's the idea of extracting the spark. It's that there's a piece of truth within every line. Otherwise, no one would believe it. If everyone, if it was absolute checker, no one would believe it. Right? When someone says, like, you know, we're all in the matrix, you don't exist. There's a there's a obviously a deep truth to that. You don't exist because you're not absolute existence. You exist within existence. You're a chelik alakadmal. You only exist because Hashem is willing you into existence. But to just say like I don't exist without really building the nuance of what that means. What is existence? What does it mean for me to exist? What is what what's the difference between existing and existence? Does Hashem exist or is Hashem the source of existence? Like everything that people love to like really hold on to and say it's the whole truth it's like man is nothing man is godly which one it's, it's, you know relative to hashem man is nothing but man is also godly because we're built to sell him like him and like is the physical world holy or is it lowly is it potentially holy it's so lowly that it's holy you see a lot of times like the, the non-jewish world they see an idea and they go run with it and they go to the extreme they take it to, all the way to the extreme and they're kind of lost with it, right? Because there's no guideline that don't have the Torah to like, kind of guide them from. Yes, there is men and women and they're both empowered, but in their own way. And they like go all wild with it and they're lost, right? To a certain extent. And with other things, you see that so many things. It is, it's like endless and no... Uh... Yeah, that's 100%. And by the way, like we're on recording, but this is important to say. 
that principle is not just a non-Jewish principle. And like, we have to give ourselves permission to think like, that's true in life, that's true in Torah, right? There are communities that are overemphasize one principle. There are communities that overemphasize another principle. And a real balance, real tefaris, real harmony, real oneness is the lack, like the only extremism, which is good, is being extremely balanced. Because extreme, extreme balance is oneness. And to say that you're only going to Olam Haba if you learn Torah all day, or to say that you're, the only way to live life is Eretz Yisrael is the be-all and end-all, right? Zionism. Or it's all about Avas um, Hashem, or it's all about, you know, philosophy, or it's all about halacha, or it's all about, like, they're all true. It's not one's true and the other's false. They're all true. So when you say, I have the truth and it's the only truth and your truth is wrong, what you're really saying is I have a small T truth and I'm turning into a capital T truth, and I'm rejecting your truth. But the greatest truth, the capital T truth, is Hashem. And Hashem revealed that truth as Torah. And Torah is multifaceted, many levels, many layers, many aspects, many expressions. And the concept of a multiplicity of truth, of two-ness, of multiplicity being true, is that they're all pieces. And when you put them together, you get something amazing. So is it man, is it woman? It's neither. They come together into oneness. And that oneness is beyond just man and woman. It, you get something that transcends the sum of its parts. And the expression of that is having children, but the meta concept of that is the marriage, the actual you know, couple itself, which is bigger than just the man and just the one. It's not one plus one equals two. It's one plus one is more than two, which is why Kaj Baruch Hu isn't echad, he's yichud. Like he's not one that you point to him and say, that's Hashem, he's beyond number. It's, it's beyond thingness, it's beyond... One, it's like, you know, it's not, you know, one as in like the two luchos, it's one as in oneness. It's the source of number, the source of all those things. And when you start to live that type of life, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. If you're, if you're truly a balanced thinker, if you don't attach yourself to one approach in a sugi when you're learning, in a political debate, in just an argument, but you know how to appreciate every perspective, and you're balanced and nuanced, and you understand the truth within different perspectives and different areas of life, you become, I mean, talk about becoming the best at what you do, talk about making a living. That's how you become extraordinary. If you stop becoming small because you're attached to smallness, but you start literally becoming so in touch with truth and Torah that you become better than everybody else because they're stuck in their small world, then not only can you help bring them out of that world and raise them up and be like the greatest educator, but you can make a great living doing it because you have a skill that very few people have. And that's all that's true in every field. It's like Uber. What makes Uber so good? combines taxi with like social media and like the social element, right? It's like you can transform anything by combining it with something else that's transformative, which is the idea of oneness, of integration, of becoming, it's not that they're the best taxi service. They revolutionized taxi, right? It's like Uber Eats revolutionized restaurants. All the most successful uh, dot-coms took a broken system and made it better. Exactly. Like uh, we work, everyone needs an office to work in, everyone needs a community. 
let's go rent out a place and just do it. Uber, all these different things. It's just like, it's things that exist taken to the next stage. Exactly. And the way they've taken it to the next stage is they just simply combine two different things that are amazing on their own into something that's bigger than either or. It's the literal principle of oneness. Right before our eyes, monetizable, monetized, right? So that's what you want to do. Like for me, my coaching point, the reason why it's so valuable is because most coaches are either like cheerleaders, like hurrah, 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 you can do it. They're, you know, either very motivational or they're very good at accountability or they will kind of like push you to do the things that you want to do. But very few of them are all of those. And very few are also themselves philosophers, thinkers, educators, and great communicators, extraordinary listeners, and know how to actually take people through a system of self-transformation. Like most coaches kind of show up and say, what are your goals? Let me help you do them. And every week we'll say like, how to go. Like my system is designed to take you through my system, my masterclass, while I go into your system. And it's like, I've revolutionized the space. Like I definitely have devoted my life to being the very best coach in the world, but I've done it by also integrating all of Torah wisdom, all of, you know, the wisdom of psychology and philosophy and leadership and high performance. And it's like the moment you realize a simple formula, which is that when you can take the best of the best and then combine them with other bests of the best, you can create something better than them, right? It's a very, very simple thing. If someone spends 50 years mastering a skill, they devote their whole life to one thing, you can spend one to three months absorbed in their world and get what took them 50 years to do. So you literally have absorbed their 50 years. Torah, they can dumb it down. Anything, any any field, Torah wisdom, uh, you know, any trade, any anything. In terms of like, I'm talking about an immersive one to three months, like literally devote three months, like only and only, only to that. If you spend another three months and do that with a different person in a related or different field, you now have combined 50 years and 50 years together in, in, in two to six months and imagine what you can do with that. That means that the very best in the world wasn't able to do that because he devoted his, or she devoted their or his or her life to their you know, mastery, but now you're taking that 50 years of experience and another 50 years of experience, combining it into whatever you already have, like, oh my gosh. If you, if people understand that success leaves a trail and that you don't have to reinvent the wheel, you don't have to literally figure out how am I going to, but you can learn from the very best when you want to learn from the best in podcasting. Immerse yourself in the very best podcasters in the world. You want to learn the art of communication. Learn from the very best communicators. You want to learn from the art of public speaking. Learn from the very best public speakers. You want to learn from the art of comedy and just like being spontaneous. There's like once you devote your life to literally just the art of mastery and immerse yourself in those who have actually done it before you, you start to realize that the only thing I was stopping is like right now, contemplate this very simple idea. There's almost an infinite amount of information of all levels of depth on the internet right now. Why isn't everyone in the world brilliant? <laughs> That's why it's all there. When you have ribui or then you have shvirata killing too much light, and the vessels break, and you don't know what to do. Just like, where do I even oh, begin? Yeah. What do I do? There's so much there. What's the first step? That's why people like buy courses because. 
It's not necessarily it isn't out there. It's like it's structured, and that's what people mm -hmm. need, right? Like with everything, that's why I have the Torah. Like mm -hmm. it, we have abundance in this world. There's enough abundance for everyone. Everybody could technically be a billionaire and like never have to work. Mm -hmm. in a sense. But how do you get that? Right? Soon with inflation, we'll all be billionaires. Don't worry. <laughs> Biden's taking us right there. Man. <laughs> that, that's so close to not getting political. But <laughs> <laughs> this is uh listen this i know for a fact this this podcast uh changed my whole entire outlook on my next few uh years right I, i'm i'm literally two days away from ending a job that i've been doing for the past year and a half and uh next sunday i'll be starting a new career path and uh internally my goal is always torah it's always to spread emuna and to connect Jews to, to the tzaddikim and to Hashem so that they can be better and that they can believe in themselves. Like, right, that that is internally what I think about all day long. And I'm in that middle second option of, you know, like I have to go get a job to support this, which I know intellectually is stuyot, but it's just, it's nonsense. It's just disconnected from my heart where my heart is like, you know, you have to, or maybe the other way around, right? Like that. I don't know, but I know it's still. I know in my head that I don't need a working job. I know I could dive in, right? But it's uh, it's a crazy thing to apply. But you also have responsibility. Exactly. No, that's what I'm saying. No, but at the end of the day, there's bro who gave me my wife, gave me everything. He's gonna give me my panasa. If I take, right? If I say right now I'm not going to work, I'm gonna work for you, Hashem. The amount of money I need to get through that month will come. I don't know how. I know it will. It could come in a loan. It could come in any way, but it'll come. 100% true. The biggest bracha for me is that I started when I was 18 and had no responsibilities. I wasn't married. How old are you now? <laughs> uh, that was 58 years ago, right? Uh, <laughs> No, but it's so true. And this is, I tell people, a lot of people that come to me and they're like very in the middle of their life. Like, you know, relatively, we're all very young. Like I'm, eight, I'm 85, you're guys. Um, but relatively, yeah. we're all pretty young. And you have the rest of your life ahead of you. But here's the thing. If you have no kids and you're not married, you have no responsibilities. You can take whatever risks you want. But the moment that there's someone else depending on you, right? You're married, you have kids. You can't just say, like, I'm going to see if this works. I'm going to just take the risk. I'm going to go all in without yeah. being so unbelievably certain. Like, for me, when I was young, you have, to, you have to realize that I was 18. I was going to be a doctor. I was pre-med when I started college. I had my, you know, my family was not okay with what I was doing because there was no path. I told them, I, I'm going to be successful. And they said, but how? Like, no one's done what you want to do. Like, just be a doctor and then, you know, also, like, you know, go to medical school first and do this. And I was like, no, you don't understand. Like, I can't. And they would, like, every single week for years try to talk me out of it. And it's because they love you and it's because they care about you. And they're so amazing and they're incredible people. But, like, this is not you. an easy life. It's not an easy life. And it, no one said it was. And there's no, but here's the thing. When you have no responsibilities, you have no kids, you can go all in and fail and mess up and take the risk. But when you are in, already in the structure of I have responsibilities, bills need to be paid, food needs to be put on the table for people other than me. Like I may be able to like live a certain type of life myself, but I, I'm either not willing to or like I know I can't. 
like they're not willing to live a certain type of life, then I have to basically add a level of rational, practical responsibility to the equation and say this, I'm going all in. It just means a little different than I'm not doing anything else. And what I can do is I can give myself a timetable and say that by this time, I need to have done this so that I can walk away from this job. If I'm in the job, I need to quit. I can say within the next six months, I'm going to have, you know, if you look at your day, like nine to five, right? How long is that? It's eight hours. It takes time to get to work. It takes time to come back. You have to eat. You have to, okay, fine. Everyone has between three to five hours every single day if they're obsessed. Everyone. The only question is, are you obsessed? Most people are not. So they say, I have no time. They do have time. They're just taking time to sleep a little more or to relax or to eat or to have conversations or whatever it is that they have the time. Once you're all in, you just use that time differently. And you say that time is going to be used to build the brand, build my networking, talk to the right people, build the skills, take the courses, understand what I need to understand, build the momentum and do whatever it takes so that within the next six to 12 months, I'm away from this job and doing what I want to do full time. And then once you give yourself a deadline, you go all in and it's okay to reassess and say, okay, maybe it needs a little more time, but don't reassess until it gets closer to that date. So you're still going all in because the moment you give yourself permission to not go all in, you won't. Yeah. Take your foot off the gas. Yeah. It's a, it's like there's a great story. And I'll just say this very quickly because we are, we are going. Um, but there's a great story of this guy who wanted to be successful. And he basically sought out this guru. And he knocked on the guru's door. And the guru said, meet me tomorrow by the water. He lived on the beach. Meet me tomorrow by the water. And I will uh, teach you how to be successful. So he showed up the next day, he showed up in a suit, showed up in his bathing suit because the guru said, walk into the water. He says, okay. Walks into the water, he's knee deep, turns around, and the guru says, keep walking. So, okay, keeps walking, his shoulder deep, turns around, and the guru says, keep walking. And he gets like nose deep, he's about to turn around again, and the guru takes his head and shoves it underneath the water. And the guy's like literally struggling, can't breathe, can't get out of the guru's grasp. Like this guru's crazy, he's a murderer, that's how he's successful, whatever it is. Like he's like trying to pull off the guru's hand, he can't. And just before he's about to lose consciousness, the guru pulls his head from out of the water and says something that he'll never forget. He asks him, when you were underneath the water, what did you want most? And the guru said, I wanted to breathe. And the guru said, when you want to succeed as much as you want to breathe, then you'll be successful. That's powerful because most people, they don't need, like we all want, we want to like be a tremendous and to be brilliant and, and to know everything and experience everything, you know, such kavon and davening and to be emotionally so like healthy and physically vibrant in our best physical shape with energy, we want to be financially successful, have great marriage, we want all that, who, who doesn't want that? But we don't need it because we're living a life without it and we're not doing whatever it takes to fix it, we're just keep on doing what we've always been doing. And if you do what you've always done, you'll be who you've always been. And we just keep on doing it. And until you get to a point where you cannot live this way anymore, you need, it's like, I can never live a nine to five job. I can never do, like, I'm all in. This is all I do every single day because it's who I am. It's my identity. It's how I literally have devoted my life to. And until you get to the point where there's no other option, it's like, do you have a plan B? If you have a plan B, you don't really have a plan A, right? Mm -hmm. 
If you have a plan B, then you have enough of a fallback that your plan A doesn't need you to go all in because it's okay. If it's okay, it's obviously okay if you fail. But if you fail, you're going to keep on going for plan A. It just means you failed. So you're just going to keep going. But when you have a plan B, you're really saying that um, I don't need this. I want this. It doesn't work out. It doesn't work out. And if you don't need it, you can't do what it takes to get it. And if you don't do what it takes to get it, you just can't. It's There's a reason why very, very, very few people are doing it, are living an extraordinarily passionate-driven life. Well, I so. Just it takes. I, I don't. I don't know if I could say I'm one of them, but uh, I feel I am. But that might just be, you know, the the rats on the the design, the, the 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 divine will to be in that place of saying that you know I'm trying my best to be the best. That's it. Akira Saratsun is Akira Samaisa. Everything is about will. It's what you want, and the difference between need and want is the level of want, right? So, all we can do in life is want, but. It's the degree that we want it that turns want into action. Because from want becomes thought, from thought becomes intellect, from intellect becomes emotion, from emotion becomes action. That's the progression of literally like Exactly. So that progression, which is the essence of every, every, everything in Torah and life and everything is that process. It's a question of the level of degree of want. So when you do tshuva and you do a kir saratsum, which is that I want to be different, that want uh, is one of the one of the chapters in my sefer. The want itself transforms what was done because it changes you. You're no longer who you were. And when you want with every fiber of your being to live this type of life, you know that you're going to do it. The question is just when and how. It's not if. The question is when and how. And the fact that you're here, the fact that you're doing this, the fact that we're having this conversation is a deal itself to how much you want it. Right? And I know what time it is at night for you. I know that you, you know, just came back from work. I know that this is our second podcast of the night. I know that this is not easy. I know that there's a story behind every single thing that you do. And trust me, like, when you try to live a life of MS, you're constantly going to be tested to make yourself question whether or not this is what Hashem wants. Because it's like, if it was what Hashem wants, why isn't it going easy? Like, why isn't it going well? Why aren't I successful? And then you start to realize that Hashem doesn't want you to succeed. Hashem wants you to journey. And the self is the journey. And the journeying, the wanting, the, the, the driving, the yearning, it's like the goal creates the journey. The gaiva is thinking that your clarity of the goal is itself the only expression of the rest of Hashem, and unless you achieve your goal, you fail. It was a failure. The goal literally creates the journey. If you say I want to become this, and you go on this journey, you become that, but you really, really try to become what you're supposed to become, your goal is to become that, not this. And just remember that I said this and that, right? Because that's important in this specific story. <laughs> but the real question is like, are you living your life or are you living a life for Hashem? And when you live a life for Hashem, you are living your life, or you're living a life where I'm devoting my life to taking the journey of truth, of trying to become all that I'm capable of becoming, recognizing that every step of the way, I have control over my will and my decision, but not on the result. And we can talk forever on the question of Bechira and the level and the real place of Bechira, but I'll be conscious. 
all you can do is all you can do, and that's all you need to do. Bada bing, bada boom. That was crazy. Uh, I have to stop you because it's it's getting too much. I can't even. I I have on the one hand I have like immense hope and clarity. On the other hand, I have like super super anxiety listening to you. So uh, <laughs> I gotta balance this out. <laughs> no, because it's anxious to succeed, anxious to 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 implement all of these all of this yeah, wisdom that just came out. Yeah. It's, uh, also, it's it's late at night, so what you gotta do is you gotta get into your. Uh, I don't even know what time it is. Sleeping pod. Oh, whoa! And you got your... almost twelve. It's almost one. It's oh, nine to one. Wow, that's crazy. Okay. Um. Yeah. Rabbi Nachman says, when by way of sleep we renew our emuna. Mm-hmm. Right? So... You renew everything. It's, it's we can talk about sleep next time. Sleep is a, is a whole. <laughs> We're gonna go experience it. Oh, I'm sleeping over every day. This is Olhava, and sleep is a is a taste of death, and dream is a taste of prophecy. But we can we can delve into those concepts next time. Rabbi Shmuel, how do people find you if they want to connect, if they want to be coached, if they want to have you speak, read your book, whatever? Good advice for you. But everything, everything, everything I do is on my website. So my website is shmuelrechman.com. It's my name. And that's where all my lectures and my share and my articles are located. It's where you can get more info about my book. It's where you can find more about the master class. It's where you can contact me. Those are still recording. Those are still contact me about speaking. And really just send me an email if you have any questions. Always happy to help. My email address is on the website. And I'm also on all social media platforms. You can contact me there. But everything is on the home base of the website. And uh, if I can bring any value, help you in any way, it'd be my absolute pleasure. Is that the same? Right. Thank we'll you so much. Below also for people to click it or find it easy. So the shame. Wow, this was awesome. It blew our minds away. Yes. <laughs> By the way, I'll just... See, I didn't, we didn't even know it's 1 a.m. One last thing, which is that I started doing this also when I was pretty young. And usually these things are very simple, right? You share your story, you, your story lasts for most of the conversation. They ask you a couple of questions and you go off. And for me, like this is an, as enjoyable for you as it is for me. And it's enjoyable for me as it is for you because my goal is to make this as genuine, as real, as new and as open as possible. And to really, really, really like hold nothing back. And to, it's like when you teach, you, the Midrash says it's like sharing a light. When a light, candle lights a thousand lights, it loses nothing of its own light. And if anything, that's what it was designed for. So it actually expands its light. And it literally is becoming more of itself. So when I teach, I enjoy just as much as the person listening, because I'm not saying over a script. I've tried to become the Torah so that when I share the Torah, I'm not just giving over that which I prepared, but it's as new and as it's like a little taste of Ruach HaKodesh. We're not there yet, but getting into a flow state where you're experiencing enjoying it just as much as everyone else. And when I coach, it's the same thing. And when we have these conversations, like this is, it wasn't mamish Ashir. Like we didn't actually, actually, actually like develop Torah concepts in depth and open things up in certain ways. But we talked about so much Torah. We talked about so many Klalim and ideas. And this was like, in a certain sense, this was life itself. So and this is is exactly it's higher than it can be higher than Torah. Friends talking together is the most genuine way of learning. Exactly the connection, the, the explosion of deep consciousness of when walls are broken down and realness opens up, it's it's incredible. So uh this will that's our the first of many and uh, wishing you guys both tremendous, tremendous hatzlach and everything, everything, everything we'll say when I'm 97 and you guys are 37 and 10 years from now. 
Um, we'll talk back about, you know, back when we had this conversation. And uh, looking forward to what's to come. Thank you so much.